Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my esteemed host, and Kathy, we have been here now, I just heard you in the intro, for 17 seasons, and I want to uh, welcome you to the show, Kathy, and then we'll start off giving her a little intro. <laughs> you know, I was I was just telling our guest today, uh, Atif Rafiq, that he is <clears throat> our inaugural guest for our 17th year on the air, and for those of you who have been following us, even recently, you know that Relly is the longest male relationship I have ever had, virtual or otherwise, and I congratulate you, Relly, for hanging in with me all these years. I am now putting that on my resume, (laughs) that I am the the longest standing, because you know how important that is. So we have had a really fun time doing this show. We always bring you great guests. And Leadership Development News is all about giving you tools, tips to be in the top 10%. That top 10% is a tipping point. A lot of the research is showing that if you can get into the top 10%, you're so much more valuable to the organization, even if you're at the uh, 85th percentile. So these numbers just jump up the more that you can be in that top 10%, top 5%. And so we always want to give you tips, tools. What are the little things, sometimes big things, you could do more of? Also, there's things that you could do less of. So those are the things that we look at. And in our intro, cat, uh, we've been talking about how everything is more now. You know, coming out of the pandemic, There's this tsunami of emotions, and I'm sure all of you feel it. You know, there's more anxiety. There's more sadness. There's more angry. 75% of us think we need or could use more emotional support. So if that's you as a leader, if that's you as a manager, if that's you as a parent, eyes are on you. What kind of support can you give people uh, in your life? And we always talk about emotional intelligence. And what we do know is emotional intelligence has dipped down a few points from the pandemic. And so these tools and tips can help you. And we know that if you bring emotional intelligence to your organization, things that both Kathy and I do in our focus, in our practice, that leaders high in emotional intelligence are seven times as likely to be also high in performance. So what those are just huge numbers. We always like to give you some things that will help bring those numbers to you. So, Kat, let me turn it back over to you, and maybe we can jump in there with our, our guest. Yeah, no worries. We are, uh, we're we're going to have a lively show today, and I know that before we bring um, Atif on, I just want to make sure that our guests understand the context uh, for today's show, which is on leadership. And, you know, we know that the impact of a leader on the organization is so important. We know that the current research in 2023 states specifically 
that when there is trust, 46% of people will, will definitely show an improvement. So 46%, okay, mm-hmm. trust their direct manager. 32% trust their senior leaders. That, those numbers are not good numbers. And when we look at retention, and we know that it's two and a half times that person's salary to fill because their leaders are not viewed as effective in either their work ethic or their interpersonal skills because there's no empathy. And I just want to remind our audience, you are all working in an environment where empathy dominates the leadership role. Those who you work with have been raised in a generation where if you are not empathetic towards them, their feelings, their thoughts, their ideas, their sensitivity to the environment and to others, you're not going to retain people. And by understanding that and understanding that high-performing organizations hold the key through leadership, whether it's innovation or work engagement or any other behavior. So with that as a context, I want to introduce our guest, Atif Rafiq. He is the author of Decision Spirit, The New Way to Innovate into the Unknown, which I love, and more, excuse me, Move from Strategy to Action. And I love that title so much. Uh, As you know, we have a new podcast called Strategies for Turbulent Times. So when I talk about um, the unknown, you know I mean it. So Atif is is one of these people that has blazed trails in Silicon Valley and the Fortune 500 for over 25 years. (laughs) And after rising through digital native companies that we all know, like Amazon, Yahoo, AOL. He held C-suite roles at McDonald's, Volvo, and MGM Resorts, to name a few. He oversaw thousands of employees as a global P&L transformation and innovation leader. And he's the first chief digital officer in the history of the Fortune 500, a pioneering role he held at McDonald's and he rose to the president level in the Fortune 300. He currently sits on the boards of many, many innovative companies. Some of them include Flutter, FanDuel, ClearCover, uh, KNS Capital. I could go on. He's an advisor for Slack, something we all use and can't do without anymore, and a national board member of Defy Ventures. While leading business units, teams, and growth companies, He's built a large following as one of today's top management thinkers with over a million people following his ideas about management and leadership on LinkedIn. We are so excited that he is one of the top voices. And I just said to Relly this morning, I am targeting top voices on LinkedIn for all of our new 17th year. And we are so excited to have you, Atif. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm honored to be part of your 17th year inauguration. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ati. 
Uh, Kathy and I have really enjoyed this. Um, I just was out. I'm in, I'm in Santa Barbara, and I was just out at our farmer's market and ran into someone who I've done stuff with, and she's like, oh, I was just listening to your show. So we know people you know, listen to these podcasts when they're hiking and walking and everything else. So, so as we start off, Aki, give us a little background about who's been some of your major influences. We always like to kind of tap that kind of who are some of the people who helped made you who you are? Well, um, I mean, I think I'm a collection of, I've been influenced by a collection of people. Um, I would probably highlight a couple. Um, at a CEO level, I would say the CEO of Volvo Cars, who has run the company for 10 years and mm-hmm. recently just uh, retired. His name is Hakan Samuelson. He's a Swedish man. And what uh, what I saw in Hakan was a, a shared connection around, um, you know, uh, a, an obsession with uh, trying to understand problems and figure out problems and unleash problem solving within uh, within teams. And so I, I found it to be uh, many chief executives think that their job is simply to set the objectives and hold people accountable. But there's a vast space in the middle where people have to figure things out. And he's willing to get in there and help people figure things out. So he's one person. And of course, I would say uh, I'm kind of Amazonian. So even though I didn't work directly for Jeff Bezos, you know, it's kind of uh, he's kind of in the room, but he's not in the room uh, culturally. And Uh so I was always impressed by the fact that he was able to scale culture in his organization, and that's something that I'm passionate about as well. So as you're talking about these great people that have influenced you, you know, I remember when I was uh, a facilitator at the, uh, the Davos Connection, which is part of the World Economic Forum, and I remember so long ago, this is giving away my age, I'm a real OG of radio, now podcast, so forgive me, but I remember Jeff sitting in the aisle, with his legs crossed because there were no seats available. This was in a very small room for, you know, top leaders. And he was, um, you know, just very humble and sat there in, you know, in his jeans and T-shirt with his legs folded in the aisle. So you talk about your book, um, uh, Decision Decision Sprint. And I want to talk more about that. And you talk about, the the fact that you think Peter Drucker, who I worked with at Accenture, considered, as we all call him, the father of modern management theory, would roll over in his grave. Why, why are the ideas in your book, um, you know, I guess, consequential to the field of management and how the work of managing a company is really changing? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, we're still in an era where many companies are influenced by what I call sort of the, the culture of GE, which is um, execution is king, you know, performance is everything. And as I was referring to earlier, leadership is about <clears throat> uh, setting objectives, holding people accountable, allocating the resources. And um, I think that's not good enough. I think <clears throat> leadership is about the part in the middle, which is the messy middle of saying there's a lot, uh, we have a clear North Star and the strategy is kind of maybe a little bit more straightforward than the detailed nuts and bolts of, of, of how do we figure out, you know, all the messy middleness and the unknowns that we're confronted with to actually unlock decision-making in a company. Because 
you can have, you know, a great North Star and a great strategy on a piece of paper, but realizing that strategy requires you to turn ideas into action. And so um, that's where I focus um, my efforts, you know, over, over my career and specifically in the book. I talk about the hardest part of turning ideas into action, which is embracing the unknowns. So starting with the process where you have a lot more questions than answers, but you need to uh, somehow put recommendations on the table so you can unlock decisions so you can get on to execution. So execution, many large companies are actually quite good at. It's just getting to that downstream execution. They, they struggle. The, the employee experience is that, it's pretty bureaucratic and it takes a long time. It's not very streamlined to go from the idea to be able to move on to execution. And that I think defines leading companies. Amazon is a great example of that. They're able to get into entirely new spaces, which they don't have experience with and they learn more quickly and more effectively than I think many other companies. So they get that clarity enough, that confidence enough to move on to a, a smooth execution. Yeah, beautiful. So absolutely beautiful. Uh, say a little bit more about this. I'll, I'll preface this. Uh, Kathy was saying around trust in senior leaders versus trust in kind of their manager. And a lot of the research is showing people typically trust their manager, you know, almost twice as much as we said earlier, as the senior leaders. And some of that is they don't see the senior leaders and not sure what the strategy is. Uh, do they really know what's going on? How do we execute that? So uh, maybe you can share you know, a few ideas, you know, from your book, because it sounds like that's some of what you're addressing around creating this culture of excellence, you know, around innovation, problem solving. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I think innovation is very linked to psychological safety. And so uh, there are a few tips I have for leaders in particular, like the senior leaders in the company. Uh, but just taking a step back to set the, the, the tables here, um, we want people to be in a flow state, right? We need them to be able to see around blind spots, you know, uncover the unknowns, uh, be feel comfortable enough to share something that we may not want to hear, which is that, you know, we don't have a lot of answers. We have a lot more questions than answers. And in my book, I talk about creating a space for that because I think that is the starting point. Because if you, if you simply uh, realize that, even if you have a bright idea, the very next thing is that you always begin with a lot more questions than answers. If that's the norm, then it becomes okay to surface those questions. And if you have the right questions, you can make them actionable and you can get a lot smarter. You can do get up that learning curve so that when it comes time to actually put a specific recommendation on the table, it's, it's more sound. Now, if you, if you don't do that, if you're, if you think that the job and the company is because we, we're all smart and we hired all the right people, that we should immediately know, you know, the solution that we should be pursuing, you haven't created that space. And as a result, what tends to happen is later on, the questions come up or the questioning begins. And that begins to create fits and starts in the project. It kind of undermines the confidence level that you're headed in the right, right direction. So this one difference of creating space for unknowns in the form of questions, making them actionable, which can result in something as simple as an FAQ document before you rush ahead to judgment, solutioning, or building is uh, one way to uh, basically 
and make sure our project is going to have less fits and starts. But in order to do that, you need to promote the idea that it's okay not to know the answers to things uh, at the start. And that is where um, psychological uh, safety comes up. And so from a leadership perspective, um, you know, it's about set, creating space for that and having the expectations that uh, we may not know a lot at the beginning, but it's really the velocity of which of what we're learning that we care about, not that we know the answer, you know, from the, you know, the start uh, or the initiation of, of, of an initiative. And leaders can play a huge role in creating that space and that space for, for safety. Can you give us an example of what this space for unknowns looks like? Maybe a, a case study of a situation so that our audience can understand what exactly that looks like. We're going to go to a, a quick break. So hold that thought and we'll come back to that after the break. Don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech, like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. IC Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. IC Tech, for those who get it. IC Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. 
Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Atif Rafiq. You can check him out on LinkedIn, his linkedin.com slash in uh, Atif, A-T-I-F-1. And just before the break, um, Atif, Kathy was asking you to give maybe an example. We know how important psychological safety is. We know how important trying to create that space, like you're saying, for more questions. And, you know, I know from our work and what uh, Kat and I do, so you see it, everybody is so busy, and it's really about the execution and the task. Any kind of thoughts, tips, case studies about creating that space? Because, one, it's uncertain. People don't like uncertainty. Two, we don't have time, and we got a task that's waiting to get done. So how do, how do you kind of create that space? Well, two ideas for you. Uh, very high level, it's about building into, in, into the workflow. And so um, when you kick off a strategic initiative or a, a meaningful new thing, a new uh, thing a company is trying to get into, it's very important to recognize that to build space for exploration. And so if a team is going to take a week or two to say, uh, we're going to build and run an exploration, it's going to consist of the key questions that we need to get to the bottom of before we get are in a position to propose a recommendation. That's an example. So building in, into the workflow, um, especially this notion of exploration, um, is, is really critical. But at a, at a more detailed level, let's say you're the leader, it's as simple as how you conduct the interaction with the team. So when you kick off, you might say something like, um, listen, I know there are a lot more questions than answers. There's a couple of questions I think we should be looking at. Do I have this right? What else can? What else is? Do you think we should consider? And when you do that, you invite people to, um, you know, contribute, but specifically to contribute uh, questions, which uh, in their brains makes them feel like, okay, well, it's okay not to know the answers to things mm. and to to recognize to have some cards that the unknowns are greater than the knowns, and that's very very important. It's a different interaction than, let's say, if a leader says, uh, well, what do we think? I have two questions for you, A and B. How are we going to answer this? And it's sort of demanding an answer, you know, at the beginning. Uh, then teams think they need to, you know, actually have crystallized everything, if, if that's uh, so to speak. And so it's really about asking, making people comfortable that when we're asking questions, it's to... I loved what he was saying, for those uh, who are listening, if we're still running. I love what he was saying about how we can engage people and come across in a constructive way when they have questions about an idea that gets everybody excited about it. And I just, I, I cannot help but, but remember so many times being on very large multi-million dollar projects where, you know, the, this, this exploration week is so powerful for people. And, and Atif, I love when you were talking about this idea of allowing people the time to be coached by their leader as opposed to being directed by their leader. And that's so powerful for all of us. That's so right. I mean, I'll give you an example. I interviewed the CEO of H&R Block in my book, and he said something about um, when he first started in his tenure, he told his top team, I'm going to ask you a ton of questions because I want to deeply understand how you think about what you do. When I ask, stop asking questions, it's because I've gained enough 
confidence. I've gained total confidence. And, um, and he, he said to people, let's figure it out together. And he wanted to create the conditions for emotional safety so people could be vulnerable because he felt that if they were vulnerable, they could contribute 100% of what's, you know, 100%, which is all the wonderful ideas and light bulbs in their head. But people hesitate unless they know that questions, this is one of my main points, is that questions is not questioning you personally. It's not questioning your competency. It's trying to uh, add the right questions around the problem we're trying to solve. There's a difference between those two things. Absolutely. So, Keith, I really love love that because you're pointing to what Kathy and I talk to leaders all the time. It, it really is a leader setting that precedent and 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 really saying, I want more questions. People try to please the leader, and often the leader may not be as clear about what their intention is or, or may, they may have that whole task-driven piece. So just setting that up. And then it sounds like in your book you've kind of uh, highlighted a couple – powerful leaders, you know, especially around the pressure for productivity. So it looks like you talked about Alphabet's uh, CEO, Sundar Pichai, repeatedly urging employees to work with greater urgency, sharper focus, more hunger. And then Elon wants people to sleep in the office. So how do we keep those folks happy, which sounds a little bit counter to this idea of creating space for questions when the productivity clock is beating and ticking so fast? Well, yeah, it is a little bit counter as a, as a slogan. I think what, um, you know, Sundar and Google specifically is probably looking for is to increase the velocity of innovation, which obviously makes sense because they're caught a little bit off guard by Gen AI, but at the same time, you know, <clears throat> no one could say Google is not an innovative company. It's just, they're in such an innovative space where the velocity needs to be, you know, at that next level, and that's what they're looking for. Now, um, it's one thing to demand it, and it's another thing to show people how to get there, and that's where the focus should be mm. for, for, C- for CEOs. And I think in, in Google's case, you know, I don't have any special uh, particular insight, but just observing from, from outside, I would say it's, it's got some big company syndromes, which is essentially, you know, all the brightest people and a lot of resources. But the problems we're trying to solve in business today, they require more collective intelligence. And what I mean by that is they cannot be solved by one corner of the company. So you actually need to get um, the right collaboration where maybe there are different business units, but they come together and gel around a specific problem and you're able to get the right contributions in terms of their input um, and in terms of, yeah, to, to synthesize like the right thing to do, like the winning solution or the winning answer. Um, and when you get uh, companies become big, you know, this becomes harder uh, due to silos unless you, um, you know, build in some process for, you know, collaborating where you say we have a clear problem we're trying to solve it doesn't really matter who owns it, uh, but we want to make sure that we we do the right discovery and exploration, we put the right recommendations on the table, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, big companies, they, they struggle with that. But where they need to focus is a, a less demanding results and then sh- versus showing people a way to get there. You know, as you're talking, uh, I, I, I'm, I am thinking about 
some research that I don't know if you all remember back in 2015 that Google did that created what we now know as the um, inside yourself movement, right? And here you have this big company that was leading the way for others to model their culture. And yet, as you just spoke, um, Atif, if you think about how big companies evolve, sometimes they don't take their own advice. They are always looking for an external driver of that. But I think what you're trying to tell us is that when you look at yourself as a leader, the behaviors that bring others to life, that that create emotional safety, that really create, as you're calling it, this velocity in execution, there's other things that are going on here. And one of the things you talk about is systems to thinking. Can you explore that with us? Yeah, I'd love to. Well, I mean, you have a Nobel Prize winning economist out of Princeton, Daniel Kahneman, and, you know, he wrote the book Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, which, of course, a lot of people are aware of. And um, it's not a business book, but in some ways it does apply to business because in his book he talks about system one of the brain, system two, where system one is really geared towards uh, execution, like things you already know to be true. Uh, It's about very quick responses. You don't really need to think twice about the matter. You just do because uh, you already know. Now, if you're in a company right now and you look at the growth of your company, it's probably going to uh, get you to focus on things which are entirely new to your organization, things you haven't done before, brand new territory. So it's not obvious what should be done. It's not doing the same thing a little bit better. It's about things where, you know, wow, like how are we actually going to get there? Um, and that's where the growth comes from in companies. And that's where system two in people is really something we need to unleash in our teamwork. Because <coughs> system two is about, hmm, it's, we need to connect the dots. We don't know everything that we need to know in order to decide the right thing to do. And um, it's system two thinking that, we have we struggle with in companies because um, we think that everybody should already know the answer. <clears throat> that's why they're in the job. That's why they were hired. Um, but in fact, it's quite the opposite. We've hired we hire people because we trust them to start with the right questions, to know the right questions, to put on the table, mm-hmm. and then we trust that through teamwork they can get to the bottom of those questions, and we can begin to put together the puzzle. Because any growth or new thing that you're trying to drive in a company is kind of like solving a massive puzzle. And then you come back to the example of Google where they know that the puzzle is pretty big and you need contribution from across the organization. But how do you get people uh, working in a way where their, yeah, your collective intelligence is, is being taken advantage, you're taking advantage of, uh, of that capability. So when the Daniel Kahneman work in system two, it's about uh, creating um, an environment where people are able to think twice and even think at a deeper level. Because if you put the right considerations up front on the table, your project will benefit. You'll have less blind spots. You'll be able to poke less holes when it comes time to make a decision. The decision will be more confident. You know, all of that helps gain momentum in the in the initiative. 
So, uh, Keith, we love the work of, of Daniel Kahneman, and, you know, and, and often that's the slow thinking. And so when, I, when I'm with groups, we talk about leadership is slow thinking, unless you work with the kind of groups that Kathy does, the people who are on the front line in our military or law enforcement, they have time to slow think. If it's not an emergency, you know, leaders have time to slow think. And I think this goes back to imposing this time clock that they really do have time to think about stuff, to maybe come up with different ideas, to not have group think where everybody has the confirmation bias and they just go with, you know, what somebody else is saying. So I imagine you have this in your book. Is there a constructive way that someone can ask a question when everybody's excited about moving down there? They got the confirmation bias. They're excited about where we're going, possibilities. And someone's got a... Uh, thought question that may be counter that may slow down that momentum. What any thoughts about how that can happen in a kind of here and now practical way? Well, I like that you mentioned the thinking slow part because I think the trick in business is doing the thinking slow part fast, meaning you don't cut any corners because you've done the thing. The purpose of the thinking slow part is to eliminate any blind spots as much as possible. So you've thought, you know, pretty, pretty broadly about things uh, and to do that fast. So the thinking slow part doesn't need to be slow in, in how it's um, executed, so to speak, in companies. They can be, mm-hmm. you know, if you think, think about initiatives, usually initiative teams are clamoring over weeks and months to take one week to surface all the right important considerations or questions is not a, a ton of time. And I would always encourage teams to do that because and you pay a ton of benefit uh, downstream as we got further along. Um, but your, your question is a great one too, because the way you kind of kick that off is by, you know, making sure that as a leader, you, when you're inviting questions, you're not questioning people's com- uh, competency. You're saying mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're actually inviting questions. So like, so I would, for example, do a three-step process with my teams where I would say, look, the first meeting, we have the North Star, and we just want to develop a great list of questions. What's in your mind? And if someone were to ask, uh, propose a question, I'd say, that's great. You know, that's fantastic. Uh, share more. And then I would say, well, who else has a question? And then you would just see them stream in. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the meeting, we would not be very clear on where we're going, you know, in terms of any clear decisions. But I'd say this was a great meeting. Come back, let's do a second meeting, and let me know what you found out as you investigated some of these questions. And they kind of be able to draw some conclusions or get a kind of a generally mm-hmm. in some direction, but they would still have a lot of, a lot of open, open items. By the third meeting, they really crystallized and they all felt super confident. This is the right direction. These are the decisions we need to make. We feel really good about it. And here's the thing. We can actually defend our recommendations. We can connect the dots between the recommendations we're making and the things we explored to get there. And that's actually a big gap in companies. When that doesn't happen, then you get, you know, lack, less confident uh, situations and things go slow. They not only go slow, but, <coughs> pardon me, in my business, in my area of expertise these days coming out of business, global business into Department of Defense and law enforcement, 
it's a matter of life and death. And so I, as you're talking, I'm looking at this, okay, number one, you have a North Star event where you, you know, you go out there and you list all the questions that are percolating across this team. And then in the second meeting, you allow them to focus on the investigation of those North Star questions and go deeper on them. And then in the third meeting, now you've crystallized these ideas. They've been able to defend them with recommendations that now they have gained deep confidence on. And this is, in fact, how we have to run our planning and mission meetings to create behavioral safety in our you know, special forces and special operators. And I love the fact that now you are leading this effort to drive this behavior into corporate America. And I cannot tell you how wonderful that sounds. I, I also just want us to, to think about all of us. When, when we're now tightening the belt in these companies, as we hear in headlines every day, coming out of quiet quitting and all kinds of financial despair um, that's going on around us, you know, in light of the economy and its work um, and the impact of that work, if you will, on innovation, how, how are we going to survive innovation? How are we going to get it to keep moving and, and, and as Relly says, do more with less? And, well, I think Kat, before Atif, uh, uh, hold on a second, Atif. Sorry about this. Before, before you go on, we just got our signal for the next. Uh, oh, break. okay. So we'll I, did, right. I did not hear that. Thank you. Yeah, so we'll come right back. This is Leadership Development News. We're talking about uh, the book Decision Sprint. So come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Icy Tech. Like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those 
to get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, we're having an engaging conversation with Atif Rafiq about his book, Decision Sprint, and I am so engaged, I'm not even hearing (laughs) when the commercial breaks are supposed to come in, but that just means that I'm having a good time. I hope you are, too. We we went to break, um, Atif, talking um, about belt tightening in in companies and in light of the economy, what's going to happen to innovation. And I think most people are counting on AI. And um, I think it's it may be a counterintuitive idea, at least it is for me, because without, uh, let me put it this way, there will never be EI in AI. And so for me, it's, it's a struggle. I'd love you to talk more about the future of knowledge work as we know it, and knowledge workers in the context of AI. Sure. Well, um, I think first when it comes to innovation, companies need it now more than ever. So when we hear CEOs of Google, Spotify, and Elon Musk demanding more from from employees, they're not asking for doing more of the same. They're asking for employees or their workforce to deliver the company into brand new territory to unlock growth. And so what they're really demanding is purposeful innovation. So uh, it's important to recognize that in an era of austerity and belt tightening, it's not that innovation takes a backseat. It's actually that we demand more from innovation. And Hmm. that's something I'm excited about. I know that's a very high bar because uh, we're saying, okay, you're going to have less to work with, and we still want those, those, um, you know, uh, want to climb those mountains and achieve those innovations when right. uh, it's not obvious how to get there. So I think this is uh, this is what creates a lot of, you know, obviously pressure in the workplace, and that's why all of the things we've talked about before, where you know, to problem solve as a group and in a team environment, emotional safety sits at the center of that. Otherwise, you don't get the right inputs or the ideas and, and, and then you don't solve the problem in the right way. So that's, that's one thing. Now on top of that, you have to add AI because that's coming. And so how do I look at AI? Well, really when we talk about problem solving or innovation or growing a company, it's knowledge work and AI and knowledge work pair together. Um, how, and the question is, how do they pair together? So for example, um, if you're a team, and you have to put a presentation or a document in front of your leadership. Um, now with generative AI, you know, you have to make sure that you don't have blind spots. There shouldn't be, for example, a question that your leader can ask in ChatGBT and get some content or some answer, 
and it's not really reflected in the work product you're putting on the table. And so at some, at some level, Gen AI has raised the bar on the work we do inside companies because very quickly it can generate, uh, you know, a list of the, the things you should be thinking about, for example, right? And if someone put a document in front of you or me and, and the Gen AI raised some important subject matters, but they weren't in the document related to the problem we're solving, then we would lose a little confidence in the team. So at some level, you have to be able to tap Gen AI to maybe contribute to your first draft to get some of those key, key subject matters, key questions that you need to be exploring. And that's why I think the idea of looking at exploration as a discrete step in as you move towards, you know, investigating problems, putting recommendations on the table, entering decision meetings, your exploration work becomes even more important and you would tap AI to help you develop, uh, for example, part of your first draft. I think that's yeah, going to be key. It's like, about, I just want you to move in here if you can, just to give a, uh, some verbiage here on this software app that you're using to revolutionize some of this. I believe it's called Ritual. Yeah, so ritual.work is our, our website and Ritual is an app that helps you build and run explorations and produce, use content, produce content like FAQs or narratives to power your meetings where you're putting recommendations on the table or you have a decision meeting and you can uh, ba basically show the work that you've done to f fully investigate your, um, your, your initiative. And the way we start in Ritual is basically we help you craft a problem statement because I think that's important. So let's take an example. Let's say you're Netflix and you're kind of uh, noticing there's a lot of abuse of passwords, right? There's a lot of password sharing. So, um, you know, the CEO says, hey, this is a problem. Let's form a team to go solve it. It's important how you frame the problem statement. Is the problem statement to crack down on password sharing? Or as an alternative, is it, is it to find the right balance between the commercial needs of Netflix and being fair to users, right? Because... Maybe people aren't trying to abuse it. They're just some natural reasons why they need to share it. So the first step in a workflow to take on this initiative is to help craft a problem statement. And then in, in the Ritual app, we help you build, collect all the right questions that are on the team's mind that you should be exploring and then help you run that exploration. And eventually you produce content that you can take to a meeting like an FAQ document. So that's what the product's about. But it's based Beautiful. on some of the key principles of the book. Beautiful. I so love it. And, and that's, a, that's available on your website or uh, for folks if they're interested in that? Ritual.work is our website, and we have a, uh, an app right now that we're in beta with some you know, well-known well companies. We'll be releasing it um, openly pretty soon. Well, I, I so tell you about something that, about this. Yeah, it's very exciting because we have a lot of, of, of agencies that would love to use this kind of software app for their teamwork because they need innovation and problem solving. And it can't just be people sitting around a table and playing with death. So I would love to follow up with you on how we can explore using this. It's very exciting. I just want to remind everybody, Relly, that you can reach out to Atif at HTTPS 
colon backslash backslash www.linkedin.com backslash IN backslash ATIF1 backslash. So what I like about this, uh, Keith, is uh, the thing that we've been talking about, how do we create space for the questions? And then now it sounds like one of the innovations is having a tool that can speed up some of the question generation so that now people can start exploring the questions uh, versus only coming up with the questions. So that sounds like a, a really good innovation that you're working with, you know, kind of a nice combination between the speed, the fast thinking and the slow thinking uh, to look at what are some questions that need to be answered. So before, yeah, that's we, a brilliant before point. we end here, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying if, yeah, because if, if it's in the workflow, if the space is created in the workflow, then we're right. going to get that, right? And if it's not in the workflow, then we might forget, and then we realize, oops, you know, we kind of had it, had it backwards. We want to avoid that. So just Absolutely. before we end here, you know, you talked about upstream and uh, upstreaming and upstream work. Maybe just tie that in because that may kind of wrap up what we're, we're talking about because I know you talk about that a little bit more in your book. Yeah, 100%. Well, in this book, I introduced the notion of upstream work, and that's where a promising idea faces more questions than answers. Um, but we need to make that actionable. So we need to um, be able to do something about that. So it's not just about coming up with the right questions. You want to do that uh, very effectively and pretty quickly, but then you want to action those by getting to the bottom of them um, <clears throat> and being able to connect your investigation, your exploration, your discovery, whatever you want to call it, to the conclusions you're drawing. Like, how are you thinking about what Netflix should do about password sharing? What conclusions have you drawn? And usually conclusions are pretty layered. They're not just one, they're several. And then if those conclusions make sense, what recommendations are you, are you proposing? What specific decisions, what actions does the company need to take? Uh, it's, and we don't do this as well as we need to in companies, creating the connection between where we started with the questions, how we got to the bottom of them, and how those connect to what we're actually proposing a company take action on. When you do that together, that entire body is what I call upstream. So when I talk about Peter Drucker <laughs> rolling in the grave and moving on from the GE era, uh, this upstream part is really the... The, the white space where we need to have much better practices and methodologies because we're already mm-hmm. good at the downstream mm-hmm. pieces of once we've mm-hmm. decided execution. So we need this upstream piece, upstream excellence in companies to keep the velocity of innovation at the rate uh, that the companies are, are expecting from us. Outstanding. Well, Keith, thank you so much uh, for that. And is you, is your book available now? They say a word about that as we'll bring us to a close. Yeah, sure. So Decision Sprint, it was released in late April. I'm happy to share it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, and so it's been out for about five or six weeks. It's available at your favorite online uh, bookstore and probably in some uh, physical bookstores as well. Um, I also have a website, decisionsprint.com, and that has a lot more content, some some frameworks, some tools. Um, there's also a way to reach me and my team through the website in case you're interested in, uh, if, if, even if you have any questions, you know, 
we're happy to respond because we kind of want to promote this idea of upstream work and increase the velocity of innovation in companies while making the experience of employees better because that is really, really critical. If we can't get that, then the companies don't get what they're seeking. Absolutely, especially in this day and age where every headline is about what's going to happen that reduces the flexibility of employees, reduces their, if you will, job opportunities. And we know loyalty is top of mind for companies these days. So thank you so much for sharing everything with us today on inclusive environments, on leadership behavior as a coach, on getting everybody to feel comfortable to provide input in that, as you call it, space for unknowing, which is so powerful. I love it. Thank you so, so much. And thanks to our audience every day when you tune in either live or on demand to tune up your performance. Any last words from anybody? Well, I'll just say thank you. uh, Go ahead. No, you're welcome. I mean, I'm I'm happy that you do do this. uh, The intersection where your focus is really key. It's the future of, you know, kind of of unlocking performance in companies, right? Because if we can't solve for the human experience in the company, being a human in the context of solving interesting problems for your company, that's how we need to come at it. So it's really needs to be a little bit more human centric, which uh, I think is if we can make a small dent in that, I think that's going to be better for everybody. Beautiful. That's great, Atif. Well, that's exactly what we do here at Leadership Development News. So continue to tune in and tune up your performance, get new tips and tools to help you and your team be their best. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.